0: Hey, hey, what an enjoyable day. Are you enjoying the Lord? Enjoy the Lord is your strength. Well, as we move through the Gospel of Mark, we're moving, moving rather rapidly. We're actually moving into a new chapter this week, chapter 7. And we have noticed how fast, action packed this Gospel is. Jesus moves from one town to another, from one place to another. And he's always doing things in the book of Mark. You notice that. Uh, it's emphasized he is the servant in the book of Mark. Remember that? It's always good to touch back. What is the gospel about? Well, it's showing the servant. Servant here came to uh, give his life as a ransom for the many. So he's seen in action, moving, doing, as he sweeps through the land of Galilee. For the most part, that's where most of his ministry has been, up north of Israel. So during this three-year ministry... That's the way that Mark presents it. Very rarely do we see Jesus speaking that much in the book of Mark. He does. There are discourses, but they're very short because he's getting ready to move on to the next one. Well, this is one of those days where we're going to spend some time dealing with a discourse or where Jesus speaks and talks. So Mark has recorded that for us and that's really about another confrontation that Jesus has with people who cannot stand Jesus Christ. Can you imagine people not liking Christ after all He's done? I think that still exists today, doesn't it? But you know what? That's the way that it will be. So there have been similar confrontations with Jesus and the, the legalist Pharisees, the religious people, uh, we knew that uh, back in chapter 2 and even chapter 3, we saw confrontations there. One was where they challenged the disciples. It's interesting. They challenged the disciples first. Would you want to take on Jesus? Would you want to take on God? Well, that's really what they did. But uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him... "So." Uh, There they're speaking to him. They're talking about fasting. And then in chapter 2, verse 23, it talks about the grain fields on the Sabbath. And you know what's coming there. They were eating uh, the corn, the grain, out in a field on a Sabbath. God forbid. And so Jesus challenged them on that. And then he healed on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And uh, then we we dealt there with, uh, in that chapter, the casting out of demons and they said he did it by the very power of Beelzebub it was Satan himself doing that so anyway Jesus' actions that we have been looking at really have been challenged and uh, resisted by this religious group the leaders of all of Israel and it's interesting as we go through here they are constantly openly hostile to the Lord and his whole ministry and it's not unusual for them to follow him wherever he goes, wherever he goes, from town to town, from place to place, and they're looking for something to criticize. Can you imagine that? J.C. Ryle said this in his commentary: "This passage contains a humbling picture of what human nature is capable, capable of doing in religion. Let me read that little sentence again. It's pretty valuable. This passage contains a humbling picture of what human nature is capable of doing in religion. It's one of those scriptures I think that we need to pay attention to thoroughly. Uh, whenever I looked at this text, I go, uh, "How do I deal with this one this week?" I know it's God's word and uh, it's always powerful, but you know, people have heard of this. It seems so far removed. You know, uh, Pharisees—they don't—they don't exist anymore, do they? Mm-hmm. It was an external religion. And people had their own standards out of this external religion. And it actually equaled and exceeded the very authority of the Word of God. Imagine that. So, uh, it's dealing with false doctrine. Actually, that they built off of what truth was. And we can never be too jealous about false doctrine, as a writer said. A little yeast works through a really small lump of dough. Through that whole batch of dough, that little bit of yeast will work in, right? And so we know we're in the year 2013. This may seem so far removed from us in this passage because it speaks of washing hands, washing, washing cups and pitchers and kettles. And you can say, what is that? Matter of fact, you might even say, what am I doing here? i got to figure out how to get out of here without anybody noticing me. <laughs> this just, you know, sounds really This sounds really boring. No, it really doesn't. Not when you look at uh, the truth of the matter. God's Word is never boring. But uh, as absurd and ridiculous as some of the traditions and laws that they build upon the laws, we'll notice that the successors of the Pharisees have continued on. They didn't stop with the Pharisees in that one generation. They're still amongst us. They're right here today. The succession of the Pharisees has never ceased. may not be necessarily washing the cups in a certain way, but I believe this is going to challenge us. By the time we get to the end of this, we're not just going to look at this historically and as a story and as something that happened back then. But I think the urgency here is that, okay, how can this impact me also? Let's look at what the customs and the cultures were, but let's also look at how does this work in my life. And I think that each one of us can hold to our own little, how can we say it, our own little traditions, our own little pet peeves that we might have, that may not necessarily be scriptural and at the same time we think that they are holy and they are righteous and uh, it, nobody, uh, if anybody follows that then they are holy and righteous but if they do not then they must not be holy and righteous. <laughs> Sometimes we set up our own standards that has nothing to do with scripture. It may sound like it. It may sound religious and it may be very religious but it has nothing to do. So let's examine the scriptures this week Again, in something that we're familiar with, and let's see how the Lord is going to work on our hearts today. Okay, Amen, guys. Let's just say, Lord, you work on my heart, and by, by the time we're done with it, you will not be allowed to be working on somebody else's heart because it's your own heart that has to be dealt with. Let's read the scripture, Mark chapter seven. The Pharisees, and some of the scribes, gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. And it seemed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they cleansed themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. (laughs) Now, the Pharisees and the scribes ask Him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far away from Me. But in vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever I have that you would help, help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is illuminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Wow. What a discourse that Jesus had. He just blasted those righteous, quote, leaders. Took them down to the ground and even below. Now, says here in verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around Him when they had come from Jerusalem. This is an official delegation sent from Jerusalem for one thing. (laughs) They are theological (laughs) hitmen. They're there to attack Jesus Christ. They're there to nail this man. And they thought they were superior. But thought they were way above this man. They're so arrogant. They are not ready to get what Jesus returns them. When the ball is in his court, he blasts them down. And you might remember earlier in Mark, the Pharisees confronted Jesus. They showed up in the cornfield. Remember? We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, now they arrive to debate about the oral traditions and the rituals, the rules, the regulations that was never in Scripture. It was something they added something they interpreted from Scripture and made it very difficult upon the people. Very binding. And matter of fact, their law was to be unbreakable, just as God's law itself. That's where we're at on this. So, they had seen in verse 2 that some of His disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. You know, what, he's, what He's saying here is Not necessarily telling everybody here, hey, listen, you don't need to go to the bathroom and wash your hands before you eat. What he is saying is that he's referring to ceremonial washing. They didn't go through that ceremony of washing the hands. It's all about the ritual here. This is the ritual that they're involved with. Not just keeping your hands clean for eating but it's dealing with contacting defiled sinners if you happen to be in the presence of sinners who are the sinners? think of the tax collectors Gentiles you might be around Gentile people if you're up in uh, especially in Galilee a lot of Gentiles right? so in case you just come into contact with some you don't even have to touch them you need to be cleansed from those dirty evil defiled people that's what you need you have to do this We do it, you have to do it. So we move into verse 3. Hey, we're moving, are you guys ready? Right? We're in Mark, we've got to move quickly. And then in verses 3 and 4, you have parentheses actually, a real parentheses, my my version does. And it's Mark making a comment. You know, it's like, okay, they've come there, they've noticed the disciples, and then in verse 5, they're going to start speaking. But 3 and 4 is where Mark, who is actually writing to an audience that is Gentile Christians, for instance, or people considering, truth here, Uh, Romans. Can we put it that way? He's writing to the Romans as a whole. I mean, it's to everybody. He's writing to us today here. He didn't know us, but he was geared to them. Matthew wrote to the Jew, and a lot of times, really, you don't get explanations of things. The Jews would already know that. But Mark does give us some parentheses, if I can put it that way, to get a little bit of the matter of the, the culture, the customs, what they did. So that's what verse 3 and 4 is, is really about. So he explains to these Roman uh, readers. And it's, it's about just in case they come into contact with, with people. They don't even know. Hey, that guy might be a Gentile, might be a Jew. I don't know. But whatever it is, I need to make sure I get ceremonially washed because he has defiled me in some manner. <laughs> that's the idea. That's, that's what he's saying here in 3 and, and 4. If you turn to Exodus Chapter 30, you'll see where they based this on. And you know, false doctrine, usually people will take a verse out of the Bible and then twist it and contort it and make it say something it never was intended to be. And that's how false doctrines arise. In chapter 30, verse 17 through 21, we get where this whole idea of the washing ceremonial came from the Lord spoke to Moses saying you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water, so that they will not die, or when they approach the altar to minister, by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they will not die, and it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for. Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. Context: You have a tabernacle. You have the altar at the front of the tabernacle. That's as far as the people could go. They bring their sacrifice. The priest meets them there. The animal, the lamb, the bull, ox, what have you, is sacrificed at the burnt offering uh, as a burnt offering at that altar. The next piece. That is in the tabernacle is the labor. And this labor is for washing, it's for the priest. The ordinary people never would go any further than the altar. So that's pretty key. Who's doing this? Well, Jesus, I mean, God says it right here. He's speaking to Moses, putting down the law, and he says, Aaron and his sons. Well, who are they? Well, that's going to be the ones who are as the priestly family. Aaron and his sons. They are representing God to the people and taking the people to God. They do the ministry in the tabernacle so as they would go about, as they would do the... Uh, the altar, then they would move further into the tabernacle, wash their hands, wash their feet, and then they would even go into the tent of meeting. And nobody would go in there. Now we know that Christ is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. He is the way. There's only one way. He is the one who died on the cross. So he was at that altar uh, and of course that 's where the blood was shed, the sacrifice, and then, because of that, we are cleansed we 're cleansed daily, we are sanctified, set apart, we have our washing. You remember Peter uh, whenever he said don 't wash wash my feet uh Lord, you know he's don 't do that Jesus you know tells him hey if you 're not doing that you 're not part of me He says, "Okay, just wash every part of me." he says, no, no it 's kind of like dealing with a daily kind of cleansing. We need to be washed constantly, don't we? And so that's our labor. We don't do that uh, physically, but we are washed by the water of the Word. Right? As it says in Ephesians 5. And then we go and do the other ministering and, of course, the other pieces. You have the table of um, uh, the showbread, and you have uh, the, the candlesticks, you have the incense, and then all the way back to the back is that uh, the the great golden altar, really. Of course, that's that's the ark. That is the very presence of God Himself. It represents that. This is all about God, and, and of course, how we relate to Him. That's been fulfilled in what Christ has done at the cross and put us in with Him. So that's what it was about. Um, so the the priest. It was Aaron and his descendants, the the Levites, and that those were the people that would be doing that. Well, that's God's law. And he kept saying who it was going to be. Well, as as years went by and hundreds of years went by, they finally came up with an interpretation that said all people have to do this and have to have this ceremonial washing. And uh, what they would do in their tradition is that they would pour a little water over their hands and elevate them slightly so the water would run down the wrist then they would take and have some water, and it would go down, and make sure to wash their fingertips. They would do this ritual every time, and this was just for a meal. They would go through this, make sure they would get it all, and go through this little cool little ritual. Everybody thought, "Oh, this is really this is religious. This is the way it has to be." And uh, so, uh, if if you had been to the marketplace. Then it really was serious because there were all sorts of people out there who knows who you're mingling with so you really want to make sure that you get this washed. They really got carried away with this. They wrote a book, uh, of, or actually in a book, the Mishnah. There are 35 pages that dedicates to the washing of vessels. Wow. 35 pages of how to wash your vessels. Got to get this right. Uh, they took it so seriously. A rabbi who once omitted washing his hands before eating bread was excommunicated because he didn't wash his hands. Rules were so ridiculous; they have other other rules we've set them down through the years. I'll give you a few that I haven't said um If a man had a wooden leg, if his home caught on fire, uh he happens to have his leg over here, you know anyway. Could he carry his wooden leg out? And they said no, because that would be work. Uh, amazing. Uh, it, it, you could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath. Because if they fell out, you'd be wanting to pick them back up and put them in, and that would be considered work. Right? You couldn't carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath. But you could wear it. He said, carrying it is work but if you have it on you, that's okay then. You could spit on the Sabbath as long as it wasn't in the dirt. Because if it's in the dirt, then you'd be tempted, or who knows, maybe your sandal might go over there and squish into that, and now you're cultivating the soil. Just work. Performing work. This is obnoxious. This is absolutely crazy. What does this have to do with us in, in the year that we live now? Dennis, why are you even saying this? You know, this is crazy. Aren't there more practical things we can talk about? Well, we're talking about self-righteousness. And in their self-righteousness, they come up with this tradition because they could follow their own rules really good. And people would see it and they'd go, Oh, how holy they are. How holy. And we look in Matthew fifteen two, and we see what Jesus thinks of that kind of junk. And he gets right to the heart of the matter. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, verse 1, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Why do you transgress the commandment of God? Transgress. The commandment of God. Boy, He was specific there, wasn't He? Tradition really had become the highest authority. It really meant more than the Word of God. That's what happened. And Matthew just made that clear. Jesus got right to the heart of the matter just in one little sentence. Now, Mark, remember, is explaining this to the readers, the Roman readers, in verse 3 and 4, as we're still kind of in that area. So it's really, for the non-Jews, this is helpful. And we realize how arrogant these Pharisees are. And we move right in to verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Him. I finally get to Jesus. They rather take the disciples on, but they get to Jesus here. The Pharisees and the scribes ask Him, why do your disciples not walk? And here you go. This is the heart of the matter. According to the tradition of the elders. Didn't say anything about the Word of God, but the commandments of God. What do they say? The tradition of the elders. It doesn't matter whether they're walking the commandments or whatever. what really matters is what we have come up with and what they are to follow. Tradition is over the Word of God there, isn't it? That's that's that key phrase. They have become custodians of the law, made sure that people got the law that was taught to them Uh, they interpreted it and they added it to their the the scriptures that had been given them added to that put on par with God we must always be ready to delineate between tradition and scripture because sometimes we just take for granted that's just the way it is but have you thought about it what does the word of God say about that so if traditions are good and they can be, you, you have them. You know, we have them. I don't even not not sure what they are, but there are probably some things that people notice and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's what we do here." Uh, the thing is, it still has to be subservient to the Word of God. And if it's contradictory, says something different, then we must get rid of it. The elders of uh, earlier generations passed this along. It's called oral traditions. Oral traditions. Word of mouth is all it is. You say, well, what is that? What are they? Well, we don't know. But this is what you're supposed to do. Well, that's what kept going. And then later on, when it got to the third century, they said, we have to have these written down. So they came up with the Talmud. Anybody ever heard of the Talmud? A lot of you have. We've mentioned it several times. They formed the Talmud. It's the interpretation of Scripture taken the way that they have put in and, of course, all those 613 laws you know, dealing with Sabbath and so many different things that they put in there. It is incredible what they had, but that's finally written down where they will have it in front of them. And so they're saying to Jesus in this sense in verse 5, if you're really a rabbi and you're claiming to be holy and righteous, then I want to tell you right now, you should know that we never eat without ceremonial washing our hands. You haven't been doing that. You're no better than a common sinner. And you certainly can't be a rabbi that people should be following that's really what they're they're getting at here in 5. they ask him why your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat their bread with impure hands and so now we we get Jesus' answer and this is a condemnation this is part 2 part 2 they they have come up and uh, they've confronted him he will condemn them Jesus answers the accusation And it's interesting. He always answers with the Word of God. He is the Word of God. But he will point out that they well know it. If they are protectors of the law, the lawyers, Pharisees, the scribes, then they should know Scripture. And what Jesus does is he goes to the Law and the Prophets. Anybody ever heard of that? Law and the Prophets means the whole Bible at that time, which was the Old Testament. The Law and the Prophets. Jesus will even refer to that. Other people will quite frequently say the Law and the Prophets. So the first thing that he does is that he goes to a prophet. Isaiah. That is a big one. Isaiah. Right. They know this. They know this. They know this full well. He doesn't say, now I want you to turn to Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen. <laughs> but if you were to turn there, you would see that it's very close. Matter of fact, if you looked in the Greek translation, the Septuagint, the 70, you would see that it's pretty well word for word to what uh, we have in the Greek New Testament. That's really what the what he's quoting from. But it's it's very close to what was written in Hebrew. And, it's funny, the very first thing, as he thinks about saying, okay, here's Isaiah, he says, here's Isaiah who prophesied this about you who are hypocrites. Just one quick note on hypocrites. Hypocrites really means to be acting, acting under, acting behind a mask. On stage performing, and they would have these masks. Remember, you, you've seen these where they would have a, like a stick and a mask, and they were portraying this other person. They're playing somebody that they're not, right? Uh, an actor wearing a mask while he was on stage, and he says, You are religious actors. That's really all you are. Your conformity on the outside doesn't match with what's on the inside. You are playing a part that you are not. You don't have that inwardly. They deceived people with their religiosity. How dare them. The outward conformity looked so good, but on the inside there was nothing there. Dead men's bones. Oh, Matthew 23 gives us quite the statement on Jesus and the religious people of the day woe to you scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites you snakes Jesus didn't hold back from giving truth whenever somebody kept thinking they were giving truth then he gave truth about who they were inwardly it says you're deceiving not only others but you're deceiving yourselves Their traditions, they said, it's been said that their traditions built fences around the law of God is to protect the law, to make sure that people would follow that law. So they were to enforce the law. Really what they enforced was their own law. Let's turn to... uh, turn to Isaiah since we're, we 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 read this Isaiah prophecy, right? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Outwardly here's what they're doing, saying, inwardly here's what they really are. But in vain do they worship me. It's empty worship. Teaching us doctrines the precepts of men. Okay, that's right out of our Isaiah 29:13. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Isaiah 1. And we're going to see how similar this is as he oh, Isaiah opens up the book of Isaiah, Isaiah one, starting at verse ten, and this is where God has had it. He's had it up to here with their religion. Oh, they they you know they did the worship thing. It wasn't worship on the true God though. Hear the word of the Lord. This comes from Isaiah. Give ear to the instruction of our God. And then look at this. You people of Gomorrah. You amoral people. (laughs) What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires you of this trampling of my court's? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. Now, that was in the law. They were to do that, but it it wasn't coming from the heart. They were doing it outwardly and then doing other things. I hate your new moon and festivals and your appointed feast. The way that you're doing it. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. That's a spiritual washing, isn't it? Not a ceremonial washing. Oh, they did the ceremonial washing. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. None of those things they were doing. Oh, we're religious. We're righteous. We're holy. And they would not help out the, uh, the orphan or the widow. They were doing no good. They, were not, they did not have justice. And then God says this. Look at the beauty Look at the good news here after he has just lambasted them. How would you like to have heard that news from Isaiah? And, and, and he says, Thus says the Word of God. Thus says the Lord. Here's where you're at. But he doesn't leave people hanging, does he? Come now and let us reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, bloody, it's a bloody mess, they will be as white as as snow though they are red like crimson they will be like wool if you consent and obey you will eat the best of the land but if you refuse and rebel you will be devoured by the sword truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken how would you like to be in the audience as Isaiah reads this to you at least there is hope isn't there there is the good news come let's reason together and God is the one who gives them the power, the grace, the mercy to be able to do those things if they really seek Him. So, the rigidity that they had, they took their, the commandments that God had given them. And you know what they did? They really abandoned them. They set them aside and then they substituted the standard that God had given them. They substituted with their own rules. Their interpretations, human standards, and you know what? When we look at Isaiah one, ten and eleven, there and such, men look on the outward, right? We still do it today. We as Christians still our form, our thoughts, and our ideas so often on the outward, but we're dealing with the inward people can look really good on the outward that's why we're so deceived sometimes there's so many groups of people that can look good i'm not even talking about christians can really do things man i mean uh, on the outward and, uh, i can go to people like the masons where they can do good the shriners they can they can build hospitals for children well, fantastic that's that's great that's great for the kids and such but what are they on the inside They have Beelzebub as their god. They have different gods and names, and some of their oaths tell about what they are. These are people who really are not Christians, but they do good things. But as far as salvation, those things are as filthy rags to God. There are people like Mennonites, the Amish, who appear to be so good. But what are they on the inside? Well, you talk with many of them. You realize that they want to do things right and good. And a lot of people think they're the most holiest people in the world because they give up a lot of things. They used to give up cars. They drive cars now. Well, then they drove black cars, and that's all, without hubcaps because that would look too pretty. Now they drive all sorts of cars with all sorts of different colors. They have cell phones that <laughs> Those things are not neither good nor bad. I mean, they're useful. They're, they're helpful to us. Tools we can use. But somehow that got the idea of even Christians thinking, well, they must be much holier than we. Well, folks, all you have to do is look at a text like this, and you deal with them and you talk with them. They are bound up in a society that... Binds them up. The Word of God is not what they are about. They don't even take their Bibles, for the most part, to church. They listen to what an elder might say. That may not have anything to do with the Word of God. But it will have to do with how they are to conform to their dress standards, the codes that they have. I talked to one who had come out of it, and he was a truck driver. There we go, David. And he, he drove all across the United States. Well, as a Mennonite, he really was not supposed to do that. Well, he came out of the Mennonites. He just did whatever he wanted to do. got to talking with him. And he knew nothing of God's grace. And so when we talked about God's grace and gave him the good news, he just couldn't take it because he said, no, you have to be good. You have to do certain things. He says, I'm out of it. I've gotten out of the Mennonites. I'll never get there. I can't be do it i can't do it you see what the demand was it was doing things that they had set laws and rituals and rules had nothing to do with scripture they bound them on them and, and i've talked with many and some of them have come out and at least have started their own churches and they want to preach and teach the word of god most of them have a hard time with grace which is the true gospel You're saved by grace and that not of works. They're still held up in that bondage. There are still certain things that they have to be into. But they they realize there's something more than just following the rituals and rules. You watch some of the TV specials. It's pretty interesting to see what what a lot of these kids do uh, that have come out of there. And they just go hog wild. And they live like the world at its worst. And we're talking not just by dozens or hundreds. We're talking probably thousands that are coming out of there. The thing is, they still don't have anything to substitute for. They need the grace of God. That is the gospel. You can only be saved by that. So folks, don't be misled by how people look on the outward side. Religion is skin deep. Religion is man-made. When I say religion, there can be a good religion. The religion of the gospel, the grace of God, the glory of God. But when people are appearing to be holy by doing things to satisfy God by their own uh, works and doings and their endless rituals and regulations so everybody would know how good they are, they pervert, they modify, they change the very word of God. They attack the grace of God. That's what we preach here, the grace of Christ. That's the only way that we can be saved. That's the only way that we can live. And we know that. There's a difference between what God commands and what the traditions of men are. How about when churches make up rules in what, how men should wear their hair, whether it be long or short. They'll even have a standard of showing how short it has to be. Lay it out, what, a quarter of an inch, half an inch? Uh, You can wear mustaches. No, you can't. You can't wear mustaches. You can't wear beards. You can't go to our institutions with that. Well, institutions, seminaries, schools might have a different thing, dress codes, but that's, we're not talking church, you know, necessarily in that sense. Um, how, peop- how people dress, what they wear, what women can wear—whether it be they, people used to argue over can they wear makeup or not—that's not a really big issue. Where does that come from? Do you see it in scripture anywhere? Uh, what, how long the dresses can be? They'll, they'll tell how far it has to be below the knee. You know, they'll say two inches below the knee or all the way down to the ground. It has to be black. You know, where did this come from? Where? See, that's some of the things that has happened in this century and you you think about it, it's ridiculous. Can women wear pants? Can men wear pants? Back then, at that time, they didn't wear pants. They wore dresses. Go to Scotland, they wear dresses. (laughs) Do they still do that? Maybe at particular times. Do you see how ridiculous it is when you compare it with this? Where does it come from? What does it matter? What does matter is where our heart is at and we don't worry about little things that really have nothing to do with the Word of God. Yeah, we want to conduct ourselves in a in a right manner, and something that is, in in that sense, if you use a common sense, but we don't put laws and rituals and rules down. We don't have uh, certain things in our statement of faith about those kind of things. It's about doctrine. So they're saying, a good God, here, here's the whole thing, it sounds so good, a good God will reward His people as long as they do all of this stuff. Does that sound right? Well, in one sense, yeah, He will. But in another sense, He will accept you if you do this and don't do that. That's that's when He will accept you. What does that result in? Self-righteousness. So we can't do anything to please Him. When we come to Him, we come to Him saying, you are a holy God. I am not. I have nothing to offer you. We don't accept Him. He accepts us. And it's all based upon, not merit, but the very mercy, something we don't deserve, grace, love of God. Well, How have we done this past week with the law? So well, I've done pretty good. I followed all along. law. we start thinking, Oh, really? Have you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength today? Have you done that yesterday, the day before? How'd you do in that area? We break the commands and we're going to hit the real heart of the matter as we turn to Luke eighteen nine for a moment. we have to wholly depend upon His mercy and grace always, don't we? I like this lady... That, um, no, no, okay, there is a story of the lady, but I'm not going to do that one. This is the Pharisee in the text. Okay? Luke 18.9 And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Or you might as well say dirty, rotten, corrupt sinner. <laughs> Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swingers, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Oh, this guy's Good. <laughs> I mean he dresses the right way he's got his he might have his fasting outfit on just time. he's mourning he's grieving that guy's holy don't be deceived by that folks here's where we get to the right truth but the tax collector the sinner standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He realizes he needs mercy. Did the the other guy want mercy? No, he deserved it because he did things. It really wasn't what God had done. No, he didn't need mercy because he did everything right or wrong. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified, declared righteous, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees looked upon acceptance with God based on merit. That's what it's always about. There's only two religions in the world. One is your merit. The other one is Christ's merit. You take all the cults, Eastern religions, mysticism, what have you, put them in one lump sum, and they're all saying the same thing. And even groups in Christianity can be right in that same group. Church of Christ. There are certain things that you have to do that are added on to the law. One of them being, if you, if you got saved right now, if you didn't get dunked in the water, you're going to hell. If you drove out of this parking lot and got killed and you didn't get baptized at that time, you are bound to hell. That's not in God's law. They don't understand what? Grace. I think that's very serious. matter of fact, I think that's very cultish, folks. That is horrible. That will lead people right into hell because it's their works that's going to get them saved. They have to do something. You know, God does not take kindly to that kind of theology.
1: But it sounds right.
0: But it's not right. That's what he's doing right here. All over the Scriptures with the Pharisees, with the the Pharisee and the tax collector, we see the sinner realize he needed mercy. That's what it comes down to. And the publican here, this tax collector, he looked at himself. And it's all on the basis the mercy of God. You know what? I can't look at someone else's sin and condemn them. I have enough trouble looking at myself, much less others. They were experts. These guys were experts of setting aside the law of God. We turn back to Mark. Man, they just set aside the law. That's what they were really good at neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, your way of salvation. And then he hits the law. He's, he quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Now he's going to quote from the law. He uses a perfect example. They knew full well what he was talking about. Boy, it was a big thing at that time. He, talks, he, he addresses them by saying, Moses said this, or oh, God said it. This is, the, this is out of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. Now if you were to look those up, you'll find them in Exodus 20, verse 12. In chapter 21, verse 17, a direct quote out of the law. The law and the prophets. Jesus just, he just slays them with the word of God. The law and the prophets. That's how we address wrong religion. We go right to the law. Every Jew understood the fifth commandment. They knew about honoring the parents. They knew about taking care of the aged, that they were to take care of their parents. He said, You have this thing called Corbin. If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that you would help you is Corbin. And then Mark says this in parentheses that is to say, given to God. That's what his name means. Corbin means that. Given to God. What they did was to say, I'm sorry, Mom, Dad. I know that I'm really supposed to help you out here. I know you're 99 years old. And I know you can't walk. and You can barely feed yourself. But I can't take care of you because I promised to God and and the Pharisees (laughs) and the temple. My money's tied up. And I can't help you out. Because it's going to God. It's going for a bigger purpose. So I can't do that. But what does the law say? Law says you help the aged out. You help out your mom and dad. You know, you know this, this is terrible sin that they're doing. Jesus recognized that this was a popular matter is what they were doing because they were really to keep that money for themselves. They say, oh, it, it's it's in Corbin. It's Corbin, and it really wasn't. They were keeping the money for themselves. You see what was happening? That's what the people were doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And so, therefore, they'd tell their mom and dad, but they were actually lying because it really wasn't Corbin. But if it was Corbin, you know, what are the parents going to say? Okay. That's God's. It's been already given to him already, and can't be doing anything about it. Oh, my. He picks right on, right to the truth. This is the way they got around the commandment, though. Man, says to do that. Ten commandments, right? Right in the law. There, I mean, there's no question about it. But here's their tradition. Here's their deal here. So they kept the money for themselves. They get out of obeying God's law and they're just fine. By that tradition, it makes it a lot more comfortable for them actually, doesn't it? Hmm. They invalidated the Word of God with tradition. They taught their tradition as God's Word. They laid aside God's Word they, we can see in history how they have honored their own traditions above the Word of God. I'll give you an example. There was a rabbi by the name of Eliezer. He said this. This is in the writings. He who expounds the Scriptures in opposition to the tradition, like what we're doing here today, which is what Jesus did, has no share in the world to come. If you expound the Scriptures that opposes tradition you're going to hell wow that's above scripture isn't it Uh, the Mishnah and that's uh, the collection of translations uh, or traditions in the Talmud said this it's a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbi than to contradict scripture itself the cults today they're doing that exactly just like that Groups even in the confines of Christianity are doing the same thing. They can actually contradict God's word in places. New revelation can supersede God's infallible truth. It's in Protestantism. It's in Catholicism. It's everywhere. And often tradition is equal to Scripture. Or above it. The Roman church equates tradition with Scripture. And they will tell you that. I'm not just making that up. They they're, they would be proud to tell you, yes, we have the church magisterium, we have tradition, and we have the Word of God. That's our authority. So, um, equal to the Word of God. Nothing can be... We we're, we're teaching the authority of the Word of God here, aren't we? They rob God's Word of its power. Jesus explains this now. Now he's been dealing with the Pharisees. We're going to go through this pretty quickly because it's going to sum up everything he's already said. After he called the crowd to him again to say listen to me all of you and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him, for goes into him but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If no one hears, has ears to hear, let him hear. That's easy, isn't it? If, if you know, it's dealing with there's outward things, but those outward things that That you have if there's nothing here inwardly he's really getting to the matter of their heart says that to the crowd the disciples hear that disciples don't understand it so when they go back to the house that's the place they stay when they're uh, around there when he I guess are we in Capernaum around that area again I think that's where we left off wasn't it When he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. I'm not so sure that's a parable. You know, he quoted Scripture and then he dealt with the deal with Corbin. It was a reality. And they're saying, hey, uh, you know how those parables go? You know, you always tell us. uh, Can you give us a little hint here? (laughs) Just like all the other ones. He says, oh, my. This is not a parable. Um, Are you so lacking in understanding also? You don't understand this? I mean, he made it simple. Do you guys understand what what Jesus has just said? Talking about the inward and the outward? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that which defiles, that is what defiles the man. It's coming from here that is defiling. He's going into the inward spiritual matter. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. And then there's the list of sins that goes on and on there and it can go past that. Even disciples didn't understand it. It's like they don't understand most of it. But you have to remember that they were exposed to these things all of their lives. This legalism had been drilled into them since they were little kids. So they were confused. Jesus says this, so he tells them. We know in the Old Testament they were not allowed to eat pork and rabbit and shrimp. Those were unclean animals and would defile them. That was really God's way of making you know um making show sure that there are holy things or unholy things, and he uses those as pictures. Not them in themselves would necessarily be an unholy thing. And and then Mark says thus he declared all foods clean. He's saying now you mean there's not really unclean foods now? You know, pork. Can I eat pork? Peter didn't get that even until after the fact of the matter. Uh, you know, after the Holy Spirit came in his life, he still dealt with that issue, and the Lord kind of straightened him out on that. And then later on, Paul had to straighten him out on that. He, you know, he still didn't quite get it. And God had the, the sheep, you know, and you have all the different animals, and, and God says, "Now you you can eat all of these." <laughs> He had it in the law beforehand. It's just as pictures, teaching tools and such. You know what Jesus is doing there? He's declaring null and void the entire mosaic ceremonial system. It's out of here. Even right there at that time. And Mark says, hey, it's done. That was all teaching tools for them to learn what, uh, about holiness. They can take outward things and then show how what the spiritual matter is. Now, there are hygienic and dietary reasons for being, you know, uh, uh, eating certain things. You might want to consult those kind of things. But they're spiritual illustrations. God just opened it up saying, hey, we're not into that system anymore. That's, you can look in Acts 10, Peter and Cornelius, that story, where he's with the Gentiles and God's saying, we're going to the Gentiles. Guess what? You know that deal about the pork, pork laws and all the animal laws and such? Uh, that's done. We're through that now. <laughs> and uh, now we we really get to where all of this is at. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these things proceed from the within, from the heart. That is what is defiling. It's in here. I'm talking spiritually, Jesus says, Depravity, corruption of man, sin begins in the heart, the need for a new heart. You see, the Lord Jesus was teaching us what we read in all of the epistles, that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Conformity with outward things is not the issue. There's an anarchy right here Right? In us. Jesus says, Their heart is far from Me. Remember He quoted that out of Isaiah? In verse 6 here. Mark. The people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately wicked. Romans. 10-18, three, ten through eighteen, I'm gonna read them all. There is none righteous, no not one. We know all those scriptures. We go through Old Testament, New Testament. It just condemns every man. Cuts him to the cork. The heart is the problem. You know what Luther said about it? I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals as he rebelled and Revolutionized things. J. C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool, said this back in the 1800s: "Sin and the devil will always find helpers in our hearts." <laughs> John Calvin said, the, "The recesses of the heart are so hidden that no judgment can be formed by any human being. Deeply recessed." C. H. Spurgeon, I have a few sentences on this one. You ready for your Spurgeon quotes of the day? Mm-hmm. There is enough tinder, gunpowder, that is, in the heart of the best of men in the world to light a fire that shall burn to the lowest hell. That's Spurgeon. Unless God should quench the sparks as they fall. There is enough corruption, depravity, and wickedness in the heart of the most holy man that is now alive to damn his soul to all eternity if free and sovereign grace does not prevent it. He went on to say this. You You want some more? But I think I hear you saying, O Christian, now he's speaking to the Christian, is thy servant a dog that I should do this thing? In other words, am I really as bad as that? I can't be that bad. Spurgeon comments, So said Haziel when the prophet told him that he would slay his master. The prophet said, Hey, you're you're going to kill your master. He said, No, I'm not. Not take that. He went home like the next day. He took a wet cloth and spread it over his master, master's face and choked him and did the next day the sin which he abhorred the day before. Boast not thyself then, O Christian, Spurgeon says. We have no room. Our righteousness alone of ourselves is nothing. But I could never do those things. I know there are things that we would never do. But that's only in our thoughts. And our thoughts are not God's thoughts. For God knows our hearts. Jesus knew what was in man. Trusted in none of them. I wonder, do we really appreciate the depths, the damnable depths that even the heart of a child of God can stoop to? How low Can we go? We battle with it. Every day. Our thoughts can take us places that we would never even dream of doing. I would never do that when Jesus came on the scene and said, talked about murder. He says, yeah, you have murder in your heart. What's what's that mean? You have a problem with this guy over here. You dislike him. Or you call him a fool. He says, you've just committed murder. That's God's standards. And we like to make our own standards, our own little traditions, and say, well, murder is, you know, of course, the abortion, which it is. Um, we're going to, a, in a few moments when we pray, we to mention a couple of things to help remind me about that, some good things about what's happening in that area. But um, I would never take a gun and shoot anybody. You know. But the inward matter is that Where are our thoughts? Are we thinking God thoughts, and are we living that out? Are we are we showing it in, in our lives? We can have all the right doctrine, folks, and man, I think the Lord has blessed all of us with tremendous doctrine, has given us great stuff to listen to, to read to. We all have Bibles, we all have study Bibles, really good stuff, and we we uh, I think uh, would. I'd like to put this in a good manner, pride ourselves in God's theology that He's given us. I think we are doctrinally correct. That adheres to Scripture and down through the history of men of God who we uh, would prescribe to. And we take the 1689 confession and you know those things are right and they're true and we don't want to get off of that at all. We can know all that. We can teach all that. Man, we can really believe it. But I want to tell you, if our actions do not match what we believe, we're no better than these Pharisees. The righteousness of Christ we need, and we need His mercy. The Christian life is about the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the law that we have. A life that is beyond all rules, all regulations it's a holier life than mere legalism and the outward God condemns that it's not a lesser life that's a shame but it's it's righteousness that is above the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees what did Jesus say unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven even though they did things so good on the outward truth versus tradition what are you guys sold to? Let's pray.